morning. Uh, we're almost at Christmas. We are so close, and uh, it's, it's, an, it's a truly exciting time of the year, for sure, and uh, looking forward to that. And so this morning, I wanted to just simply uh, title today, Carriers of Joy. Carriers of Joy. Um, have you ever been robbed before? Anybody been robbed? Just show of hands. I mean, does not, doesn't, man, some of you, man, if you have not been robbed, I was going to say you have not truly lived, but you have truly not felt the feelings <laughs> of how sucky it is to be robbed. Um, I have been robbed multiple times. Um, I, I don't know if it's because people know where I am every Sunday morning between, you know, 9.30 and, you know, 11. But uh, I, I remember one time back in the day, um, Beth and I, we had gone to this pastor's conference in Winnipeg. And, and uh, we were there and sitting at, at, at lunch. And we got, we'd gone with Wes and Ange, my brother-in-law. He's also another pastor. And as we were, we were there, we went from one room to the next room to have lunch. And I came back and I realized my bag was missing. And, and uh, it had like my iPod and my Bible and my wallet and everything in it. And I was like, oh, you know, that's weird. I, I, I know I left it here to save the seat. And I uh, couldn't, couldn't find it. You know, what? it's, it's got to be in Lost and Found. I'll go after the sessions are over and I'll go to Lost and Found. So a couple of hours later, I went to the Lost and Found. And I said, hey, has anybody turned in a black bag? And they're like, no, no. I'm like, really? Ah, that's weird. And so then we begin looking under chairs. And we're like, man, you know what? I really don't know where it went. I'm like, I can't, I can't believe it. Like, it's, somebody must have mistakenly taken it. So then we went back to, um, we, like, we hopped in the vehicle, and Wes had, thankfully had the keys still. So we ended up driving to um, our hotel room, and we got up to our hotel room. As we walked in, it was like, we looked, and we're like, wow, the cleaning ladies came and did the exact opposite of what we expected. Our hotel room was a disaster. Tables were turned over, everything. The dressers were moved. Every drawer was open, and, and, and all of our stuff was gone. My, the key cards for the hotel had still been in the bag, in the thing. We're like, what? Okay, now something like, th- something really happened. Now we're confused. And so we call the police and ask, you know, hey, um, has uh, any of these credit cards? I'm like, yeah, somebody's been running your credit card all, um, all over Winnipeg, uh, trying to gas stations. I'm like, what? So we like cancel the credit cards. And, and, and that feeling of like, you know, dismay and despair is quickly replaced by this other feeling of like, oh, I want to get it all back. Ever had that? Can we just do that together? Oh, I want to get it all back. Okay, but do it without moistly speaking, all right? Let's do that together. Oh, I want to get it all back. No, you're not there yet. You will be. Because that's my point this morning. That's what I hope to stir up in each of us this morning is that, oh, I want to get it all back. Because I think every one of you has been robbed, and you may not realize it. Have you thought about how COVID has robbed you this year? Have you thought of what COVID has robbed from you? For many, or even for those around you, COVID's robbed peace from many people. It's robbed freedom from many people, robbed choice, robbed connection, robbed trust, robbed relationship, and robbed joy. And that's the one I want to look at this morning. It's robbed joy from us. Joy is, joy is not happiness, because that's gotten robbed as well. But, but, but joy, true joy, it's this inner gladness, and it's an inner strength regardless of outward circumstance or situation. Inner gladness, inner strength, regardless of outward situation or circumstance. You know, it, depend, it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. Have you met those people? That stuff's going terribly on the outside, but they just have this, this strength, this peace, this calm, this thing on the inside. You know, that, that, that thing, that's called joy. And Christmas is the story of joy. But before you think that it's just a story, <laughs> you know, I, I wanna, we want to look at it this morning, but it is more than just a story. And I think sometimes we're like, oh, we've heard the Christmas story so many times. We forget just how powerful that story truly is. How powerful it is for us and how powerful it is for those around us. So let's take a look at it this morning. There was a guy named Luke. 
Uh, there's, Luke was one of many who wrote about this story, this, this um, event that happened. Luke was a, a, a medical doctor. Uh, he was a historian. He was like a, a fact checker. Uh, he was one of the many people. And he, the thing I like about Luke is Luke wrote to, to non-Jewish people. Any non-Jewish people here this morning? A- any non-Jewish on the camera watching? I mean, is there any Jewish people watching? You know, that's okay too. But Luke was writing to people like me. People who didn't have all the Jewish heritage. People who didn't know all about, you know, Father Abraham and Moses and all those guys. He was writing about this. And and what's interesting to note is that Luke wasn't at the manger scene. It wasn't little sheep, little yak or whatever that was, and Luke. You know, he wasn't there like, whoa, okay, you know, I'm going to write this down. There's a star and some wise men showed up. That's not when he's writing it. He's writing it well well after the fact. And it's not after the fact of Jesus' birth. He's writing, um, he's writing after the fact of Jesus' resurrection. Because you know what? Nobody who's not Jewish cares anything about the birth of Jesus for any other reason than that he rose from the dead. That was the, that was the only reason why any non-Jewish person even thinks about this person named Jesus of Nazareth. And so I want you to keep that in mind. This was written after the resurrection. So here's how Luke starts his whole letter. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. He says this, many people. He says, because this isn't like, <laughs> this isn't just a couple people. Many people tried to write about this man named Jesus and, and what happened. And I think it's interesting for us to note that we have incredible details about the life of Jesus. From his birth to his death and beyond. We have incredible details which we don't have about too many other people from back then. Many people, he said, have set out to write about what? The, the events. The story of Christmas does not start. Many people have set out to write a children's story that hopefully millions of people will sit in buildings on Sunday mornings and read together or that they will have, you know, new Christmas traditions. We'll just call it Christmas. That's not how it happened. They're like, something happened, and we're going to try and, to the best of our ability, describe exactly what happened among us. It says, Luke says this, the others... Of the many, they use eyewitness reports. He's like, we're, the eyewitness reports that are circulating among us, the people who, who saw what happened to Jesus, that's who we're getting the information from. This isn't like, we're not making stuff up. We talk to people who had eyewitness uh, accounts. And then verse 3, it says this. And Luke's like, I'm not an eyewitness, but I carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I also decided to write a careful account for you. Luke's saying, listen, I want you to know that you can trust what I'm, what I'm writing. He's like, I carefully, I talked to everybody. I was like, hey, Peter, you know, tell me how it went from your side. And John, tell me that. Okay, you guys, the story seems a little bit, oh, you were in the front of the boat and you were in the back. That's why. Okay, well, let me get the facts straight because I want whoever reads this to know that they can trust it. And he writes this. He writes that as as the thing. He says, I wrote an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, which just means child of God. It could be a certain person. It could be a group of people. But today, it this letter comes to us, or this account comes to us, and he says in verse 4, he says, so you, he said, I wrote it so you can be certain of what? Truth. Certain of the truth. Man, there, that is something we have, we, we lack in our culture and, and, and in our day and age, is that solid truth that we can say, man, I know it to be true. Uh, with fake news and everything else, it, Luke goes on to describe in great detail about the birth of Jesus. If he begins first with Jesus' cousin John. He says, here's the details surrounding John's birth. Here's the details surrounding the prophecy for Mary's birth. And then he begins to list the names of everybody who's in charge. If he wrote it today, he would say, all right, so at this point in time, Justin Trudeau was the Prime Minister of Canada. 
You know, Doug Ford was the premier of Ontario, and Mayor Hewitt, he was the one controlling our little neck of the woods. That's how he, that's how he wrote it. And he, why does he write that? Why does that even matter? Because he's basically saying, listen, fact check me. Here's the time it happened. Here's when it happened. Here's who was in charge. Look it up. This is not like something like, oh, you just have to have blind faith to trust. He's like, no, I want you to know the truth. I don't want you to know the story. I want you to know the truth. Luke chapter 2, he says this, verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the field nearby. Regular guys guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appears among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounds them, and they're terrified. See, we, I don't know if we often picture what this is like. Just picture you. You know, you're, on the, uh, you're at, sitting in the lunchroom at Stelco, or you're on your job site, and, and uh, you're just hanging out, having lunch, and then all of a sudden, boom, an angel appears. I mean, they were terrified. Like, not just a little bit scared. It says they were sore afraid. They were filled with great fear. And, and, and I think, you know, have you ever been in a dark room? Like, maybe you're just waking up in the morning, and somebody flips on the lights and, and starts yelling. Do you remember that thought? Or maybe it's the opposite. You know, you're walking into a dark room and someone's waiting for you. Oh, man, I love doing that to my kids. Yeah! You know, the, or, or, or if you've been to those surprise birthday parties, you know, where the person who's getting surprised comes in and all of a sudden they turn on the lights and they're like, surprise! I mean, I've been to some where there's like elderly people and I'm like, I just watch their faces and they're like, oh, oh. it's like, I'm like, surprise, we wanted to give you a heart attack for your birthday, right? Like, it's this, this big, scary moment. And that's, that's what happens here. It's just like this burst of light, and their initial response is fear. But you know that that wasn't God's plan for them? God's idea was not, his hope for them wasn't that they would be afraid. And he keeps saying it. Luke writes it all the time to, to Zechariah when God shows up. He says, Zechariah, don't be afraid. And when God showed up for Mary, he's like, Mary, don't be afraid. And we, when God shows up with the shepherds, he's like, don't be afraid. And this morning, you know, and I believe that when God shows up, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, he says this, but the angel reassured them, the shepherds, and said, don't be afraid. I, why? Because I've got good news for you. I've got good news that will bring great joy to all people. Don't be afraid. I've got good news for you. Good news that brings great joy. What's that joy? It's going to bring this inner gladness. It's going to bring an inner strength that no matter what's going on in the circumstances and situations, this is, this is going to carry you through. This thing is, is solid. You know, the truth is that bad news brings fear. You know, he's saying good news is going to bring great joy. The truth is that bad news brings great fear. I don't know if you've ever been driving, you know, and all of a sudden those lights come on behind you, you know, the blue and red ones. You know, for me, it's always that my heart skips a beat. I look at the speedometer. You know, what, I don't know what you do. Maybe you're like, oh, put down the phone. You know, whatever it might, whatever it might be, slow down, uh, put the seatbelt on, whatever it is. You know, because your instant reaction is this, is, this isn't going to be good. They don't just pull you over for fun. And then all of a sudden, the police officer walks up to you, knocks on your window, and you, you roll it down, put the hands on, you know, 2 and 10 or wherever it's supposed to be, and you're like, okay, yes, officer, He's like, oh, man, finally. So glad I tracked, was able to you know, track you down. You pulled over. Your, uh, your wallet was sitting on the top of your car when you left, and you drove by me. It flew down on the ground. I picked it up, and, and here, here you go. Like, that never happens. You know, we're like, we think, you know, when the lights come on or when this thing is, that, that there's going to be this fear. And, and, and that's what God's trying to say to them. He's like, listen, I, I've got good news for you this time. 
good news for you. And because I'm sure there was lots of bad news for those shepherds in that day. You know, I just picture them sitting around their little campfire and like, hey, you hear about Jebediah's prize sheep? Yeah, I know. The wolf got him just like his kappa got detated right off that sheep. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm like, it's scary stuff. I'm like, man, have you seen our prize sheep? Come to think of it, I haven't. I'll go check. All right, you know, be careful, Cletus. It's dangerous out there. You know, and the other guy's like, ah, man, you know what? Can't wait till Augustus is out of here. Can't wait till we vote him out. Like, we don't get to vote him out. He's going to be here, like, forever. He thinks he's the son of God, and he's just going to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to us, all the time. Yeah, I know, it sucks. Yeah, and and the Roman soldiers, you seen any lately? No, but just keep an eye out, because... Man, they're worse than the wolves. They just do whatever they want. They take whatever they want. It's like, yeah, you know, you're right. Let's just let, hopefully they take Cletus and then we're, we're just good, right? They got, they got bad news that they're talking about all the time because it, it's, it's the way, we, the, the way we are as people. But I think we live in a time, you know, just like back then, where it was not a good time in the nation of Israel. It's, it's not really a great time in our lives either. You know, there's bad news personally for many people. And maybe it's not you specifically, but those around you, people who've lost their jobs. You know, I, I had a couple again this week where two people have lost their jobs. You know, where there's provincially, we've got all kinds of lockdowns and stuff happening. Not good news. In our, in our country, man, the deficit we're going to be running, oh, man, not good news. In our world, there's just this turmoil in, in our world, and there's lots of fear as a result of that. And so my question this morning is, what are you or those around you afraid of? Because the message is, you know, don't be afraid. What, what are you afraid of? The fear of the unknown? Fear of the unknown. You know, this guy named Nathan Zoner, he, uh, he was a freshman at Eagle Rock uh, Junior High. He won first prize for his, uh, his science fair project. It was April 26th of 1997. He was attempting to show how conditioned that we've become to alarmists who are practicing junk science and spreading fear of everything in the environment. And here's what his thing was. He, he put up this, this um, science project about dihydrogen monoxide. And he asked 50 of his fellow students to sign a petition at the end to say, listen, I think we need, to, we need to petition our government to ban this substance. For some reason, they have not done it yet. And he says, we have many great reasons for doing it. It's a major cause of thousands of deaths every year in every single country of the world. Um, the deaths are, happen because of accidental inhalation, prolonged exposure to the solid um, dihydrogen monoxide. It causes severe burns in its gaseous state. Injection or ingestion, sorry, can cause excessive sweating and excessive urination. You know, accidental overdoses of, of dihydrogen monoxide causes nausea, causes vomiting, causes electrolyte imbalances, and can cause death. It's a, it's a major component of acid rain. It decreases the effectiveness of automobile brakes. This stuff contaminates electrical systems. It causes short circuits. It's been found in tumors of terminal uh, cancer patients, and it's, it's actually leached into every lake and every river in Canada. And he's like, would you sign the petition to ban this substance, dihydrogen monoxide? And in his class, 86% of the students said, yes, we will sign to ban this. We think it should be banned. Six of the students said, well, mm, we're not sure yet. We want to do some more research. And one person simply said, buddy, that's H2O. That's water. Dihydrogen monoxide. Nathan Zoner became famous for that. And uh, there's things called zonerisms now as a result of that. We're in the news, the same things. People just put out all of this, these details to try and stir up this kind of um, uh, uh, crowd effect to try and change the way people think about things and create these different movements and create fears and paranoias about things. Fears of H2O. Did you realize that most of the fears that you have, most of the things you worry about will never actually happen? 
But can I tell you that they don't actually need to happen for joy to be stolen? They don't even need to happen. Joy just gets stolen simply because fear takes it. You know, fear, fear maybe it's fear of the unknown, but maybe it's fear of death. And this is one thing that I think, you know, if there's a fear of death that's, that, that every person probably has because it's the one thing guaranteed for all of us. But I, I wonder, you know, if we're almost too short-sighted in our hopes. You know, we have this, this fear of death, but our hopes become all about the present. You know, the, just to get past the present problem, you know, there's hopes in a vaccine just to get past this present problem. Hope in a doctor, hope that COVID will be gone. But the trouble is that there's always going to be another danger. There's always going to be another problem, another trial, another virus, another accident, another illness. And one of them, you're not going to escape alive. One of them is going to take you out. And you're like, I thought you had good news for us today. The truth is this, wherever you allow fear in your life, joy will be non-existent. Wherever you allow fear, joy will be non-existent. You know, if it's in your finances, you're always worried, like, oh, I'm never going to have enough, never going to have enough. You become this kind of this hoarding person who just has no joy in life at all. In your relationships, in your marriage, like, oh, you know, I think he's, he's going to cheat on me. And you, and you, tr- you end up treating him in, in, uh, in a negative way because there's no joy there. In your relationships, I remember talking with one lady. She was, her dad was in a, in a hospice care and was um, passing away. And, and she was like, I just have a, such a hard time going to see him because it might be my last time. And she's like, so I, she, you know, I just feel like I don't want to go because there's this fear that it would be the, the, the last time. And that fear is like, man, robbing them of the chance to go and see their relatives. You know, that fear, fear takes the joy out of everything. And that's where this angel comes and says, man, I've come to bring you good news. Because good news brings back the joy. It brings back the bigger picture. You know, the danger of being focused on the problem of the present there's, a, there's such a danger in being focused on that. It's like a camera. You know, the camera focuses on one focal point. That becomes clear. Everything else seems blurry as a result. And when we're focused on fear, you know what happens when fear becomes the focus of what's going on in our lives? Hope erodes, like we talked about last week. Joy gets destroyed. Peace is deceased. The things that matter most all end up becoming blurred as a result simply because we focus on fear. But there's a bigger picture. And that's the hope this morning is that there was a bigger picture then and there's a bigger picture now. There there was good news then and there's good news right now. Luke chapter 2, he goes on to say this. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. He says, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. And he says, you'll find the baby wrapped in a manger. What does he say? He's like, God himself has come for us. He tells those shepherds, those regular, ordinary people, that God didn't send another leader. God didn't send another politician. He didn't send a military commander. He himself came for us. When I think about that, man, like we talked a little while ago about how the God of the universe, you know, remember the golf ball? That we're somewhere on that golf ball. That golf ball's our planet. You know, it represents uh, our world, and Haldeman County is the universe. And somewhere on that little, that little golf ball, there's a pinprick, and that's not you. That's Haldeman County. And, and somewhere in there is you. And God, the God of the universe, holds all that in his hand. That God has come for us. That God has come for me. That God has come for you. And Paul writes later to Jesus' followers and says, let me remind you of something. A reminder, Paul was a guy who hated Jesus' followers, and then he became one, and then he wrote letters to them, encouraging them on what this life was all about. And it's a little bit lengthy, but I just want to read what he wrote to the Corinthians. A group of Jesus' followers, not Jewish, they became Jesus' followers as a result of Paul's teaching. And here's what he says to them. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. Do you know what that tells me? That the good news isn't just for the unsaved world. It's not just for people out there. It is for you and me today. 
that as Jesus followers, we need to be reminded of the good news because we can forget. He says, let me remind you, you welcomed it and you still stand firm in it. It's this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you. You know, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. And here's what he says. He, he reminds people of the good news. You know, sometimes he's like, you know, I don't know how to share my faith with people. You know, people ask, you know, what's Christianity all about? Oh, I don't know. Go to church. Keep the Ten Commandments. Except we can't go to church anymore. So just keep the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Paul's like, no, that's, that's not what's most important. Paul doesn't write and say, I passed on to you what was most important and has been passed on to me. There was a little baby born in a manger. Because that's, it's just so cute. This story is just so cute. He's like, no, no, let me tell you what is actually most important. Because the manger doesn't matter if this didn't happen. He says, Christ died for our sins. And when he says our, he's basically saying your. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for my sins. Just as the scripture said. And then he says he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. He, he, he was dead, dead. It's not like, oh, you know, he, he kind of, he fainted on the cross. And then, you know, when they put him in the cool cave, he's like, he came too. He, he was dead. Three days dead. I don't know if you've seen three days dead. But man, hope that that's going to come alive again is non-existent. And, 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 and Paul says, here's why it matters. Because he was literally raised from the dead. Literally raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He says, and then he was seen by Peter. I'm not making stuff up. And he begins to list names. He's like, you want to talk to somebody who saw it? Go ask this man, Peter. And then ask the 12, because they were there. They've seen him. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Paul's not writing this, you know, 100 years later. He's writing this about 20 years later and says, listen, (laughs) the people who saw him are still alive. Fact check me. You want to know about this man who rose from the dead? Let's take a little road trip to Jerusalem. You can ask them yourself. That's why they wrote it down. That is why they wrote it down. That's why we, you know, I see people always like, oh, we have to have blind faith. You know, it's just blind faith. It's not blind faith. The facts and the truth were written because something happened. It says, after that, he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I'd been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And, and for Paul, he's like, the good news, the good news is all about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Because that fear of death that the world has does not need to be there. It does not need to steal joy if you'll realize that there's something happens after death. Here's what Paul writes later on in the chapter. He says, because people are like, well, I don't think there is a resurrection from the dead. I don't know if there is an afterlife. I don't think that. Paul says this. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then all the preaching's useless. You know, I might as well just quit my job. (laughs) And not just me. He's like, your faith is useless. What's he saying? You people here this morning, if Christ was not raised from the dead, you are wasting your time right now. You should have stayed home, you know, and watched reruns of Oprah because that would be more impactful than what you're doing right now. Have you thought of that? He's like, man, the, the whole reason this matters is because Christ really did raise from the dead. And then he says, he goes on to say, and we apostles, we'd all be lying about God because we've actually said that God raised him from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. Verse 19, he says, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, We're more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. They should think we're idiots because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then you and myself, we're just just idiots sitting in a building, wasting time, giving away all our money. Why, why, Why are you doing this? But Paul says this in verse 20, but in fact, but in truth, Christ 
has been raised from the dead. And he is, he is the first of a great harvest of all who died. What does that mean for us today? Because I, I think sometimes what's happening in the present, it doesn't make sense in the present. We wrestle with all the things going on right now. Like, how does this make sense? Pain in the world, suffering. We see all these things. We're like, I don't know how this makes sense. And we get so focused on that that we forget there's a bigger picture. Can I tell you the bigger picture for a minute? The bigger picture is simply this, that God, whoever you want to believe him to be, the creator created this planet. He created it perfect and beautiful. And we see the glimpses of beauty all the time. He created it that way. Perfect and beautiful. He created people. Perfect and beautiful. Do you know any perfect, beautiful people? Beth is close, but I don't know any. Why? Because we know that there's some brokenness. Can you just imagine the God who created something perfect? Have you ever created something? Have you ever made something? You know, this perfect piece of art or a puzzle, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, somebody spills something on it. Can you imagine God watching his creation, his perfect people, all of a sudden infected and, and with this destructive virus called sin, you know, to see the people that he dearly loves being ripped away from him, that they, that they feel like their chances with him are over, and, and, and they turn from him and, and begin to walk away in this, this life of shame, the life of guilt, the life that's of destruction. And just to watch, can you imagine just watching your child walk into quicksand and flounder there in that quicksand, and, and, and every attempt that they try to get out, it just simply makes it worse. Can you imagine as a parent what that would feel like? And here's God in that spot watching as they wade into this mess. You know, I like how Andy Stanley talks about his, a story with his daughter. He said that with his daughter, he, he was at his house one day with a buddy, and all of a sudden he hears in the, in the other room, crash, 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 all these glasses falling on the ground in the kitchen. And he says to his buddy, he's like, what was that? And they look at each other, and they run over to the kitchen, and there he sees his daughter standing, like, in the middle of all of this glass. Her legs are bleeding. The top shelf, she had reached for something, and it fell onto the other shelf, and it all just fell all over the, all over the ground. And Andy Stanley looks, he says, he says to his buddy, he's like, you know what I told her? I'm like, you got yourself into this mess, you get yourself out. So he says, you know, he says, we would all look at that and say, no, no good parent would do that. He says, no, what he did is he waded right into all of that mess of glass, picked up his daughter, carried her out, bandaged her up, and then began to clean up the mess. And that's exactly what God did for us. He waded into a mess that he didn't create, that he didn't have to come in to fix. But he's like, man, I love these people. I'm waiting in. I remember back when I was working on the dairy farm, we had a little calf born while we had a bull in the, in the freestyle barn. So all these cows together and this bull, uh, this calf's just like an hour old and it's, it's bucking it all over the freestyle barn. It's covered in liquid manure. And I saw it and I'm looking, I'm like, man, I'm wearing my white shirt today. I'm like, ugh, seriously, where's the farmer when you need him? And I realized, you know, somebody's got to rescue this calf. So I walked in there, and I picked up this thing, smacked the bull in the nose, and walked out with this calf. And then when I saw my boss later, he looked at me. He's like, what happened to you? Because I was covered from liquid manure head to toe. (laughs) Can you imagine the smell? You know, but I think about what God did for me. That's just a faint picture of it. Because my sin, the dirtiness of my life required death. And he took that death for me. I can't imagine how perfection looks at the sin, like looks at the, the, the mud of manure saying, man, how is perfection going to take that sin on himself? And yet he did. And compared to that manure, man, my sin compared to that, that manure was like perfume. 
I think sometimes we forget just how dark and how devastating sin is for us. And Jesus, being the bigger picture guy, realized that, you know what? I think he had to be a bigger picture guy. Nobody, nobody goes to do a cross just for fun. It's not the adrenaline rush you hope for. You know, and I love how the author of Hebrews writes it. He says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and disregarded the shame, that he created a way out for us, a second chance for us, a hope of eternal life and a joy of salvation. No wonder Paul would write, you know what, the things we suffer right now, they, they're not worth being compared to the glory that's coming for us. No wonder the brother of Jesus, James, would write, man, when you fall into trials, when you're going through tough times, count on joy. Count on joy because something is a, there's a bigger picture. Count on joy. And the Hebrew writer would later write to them and say, listen, don't cast off that hope, that confidence, that joy. Don't cast that aside because in the end, there is a great reward. It's joy and it's confident hope that will carry you through present trials. It's going to carry you through and it's going to carry you right to the next one because there's a the next one coming. So to close this morning, I think about that song, Another in the Fire. Another in the Fire ends with these words, I'll count the joy come every battle because I know that's where you'll be. God, I know you're going to be there. I'm confident of the fact that's what joy is. You know, so there's a reminder from Paul and there's an invitation as well. And I want to leave you with this thought. There's a show I used to watch called Alone. I watched season one. Now I found out there's seven seasons of it. Basically, they take a bunch of people, they... uh, they tell them here, you can pick from a list of these items. You get 10, and then we're going to put you out in the middle of nowhere. Whoever lives the longest wins. You know, all you got to do is tap out. Whoever taps out, you know, loses. But they can only take a few things. They have to decide what's the most important things they're going to carry with them. Fire starter, you know, a tarp, jacket, a knife, whatever it's going to be. But my, my challenge for us today is that same thing. If you've got to go on a journey through life, what are you going to pack in your bag? What's the most important things you're going to take along with you? I can tell you they're not things. They're not things. You know, <laughs> I think hope and truth and joy are the things that I want to take with me because then whatever I face, it won't matter. We're getting through that. We're getting through that. For some, you know, it's, they, they, they don't realize that the most meaningful gifts aren't the ones that are, that are under the tree. The most meaningful hopes are not the ones that are just temporary. It's the ones that are eternal. And today I just want to say this. If you're not right with Christ today, every hope you have will let you down. If you're not right with Jesus today, every hope you have is going to disappoint you. I promise you. You might have a hope in the vaccine. Well, guess what? There's going to be another virus. You know, you might, you might, have a, you might, you might get all the gifts you wanted for Christmas, but can I promise you, just, just a little while later, you're going to be empty again? Can I tell you that the, you might just live for today as if today's all that matters, but the truth is there is a tomorrow and there is an eternity. Those things matter. And if you're not right with him today, all those hopes are going to let you down. You'll find out, you know, that in the end of life, you'll find out that, that you're not enough just on your own. You know, the fact that Jesus came to die on a cross and that actually happened, it proves that that was needed. It proves it was needed. You know, we can keep trying to be good. We can keep trying to like, ah, I'll, I'll, I'll find my own happiness. I'll deal with my own, you know, stuff. I'll figure it out. I'll be a better person. I'll just compare myself to worse people than me. In the end, you won't be enough. The only way to be right with God, the only way to have that kind of hope and joy is simply to put your trust in him. To put your trust in him. Have you done that? Have you really done that? Or did somehow Christianity was this, this routine that you did on weekends? Do you really trust him? The only way to be right with him is to trust him and, and, and find out the truth of Christmas for yourself, just like those shepherds did. Finish it with Luke chapter 2, 
The angels returned to heaven. The shepherds said to each other, oh, that was freaky. What were we smoking? No, they said, (laughs) the angels returned to, to heaven. The shepherds said, let's go see for ourselves to find out what they told us was true. They hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph, and there, just as the angel had said, was a baby lying in a manger. And after seeing him for themselves, they couldn't help but tell everyone what happened. You know, ordinary people had an extraordinary experience that day, and today, ordinary people can have an extraordinary experience as well. You know, maybe today's the day that the light comes on for you. You're like, you know what? <laughs> I didn't realize all of this, but yes, I am that. I am that person who needs rescuing, and you simply call on him to do that. And maybe for you, you're a Jesus follower. And maybe for you, it's helping to turn the lights on for someone else. So in our closing questions today, here's some things. We're, you know, Maybe you're going to have a chance to chat about it in your small group. Maybe you have a chance to chat about it here. But I'd love for you to think about these thoughts. Has COVID robbed you of anything? Has COVID robbed you of anything? Because I think sometimes you're like, oh, I went and saw the mess- listened to the message and I left. But he wants to do more in our lives as a result. Second thought, have you lost sight of the things that matter most right now? Have you lost sight of hope? Have you lost sight of joy? <laughs> have you lost sight of eternity? And then third question, you know, how has his joy carried you through difficult situations in the past? You know, as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of Lincoln when he was two years old and he was in a hospital, four hospitals. We had no idea what was wrong with him and just trying to wait through that whole thing. You know, he was healed in the end and we're so, so grateful for that. But that's not the thing I'm most grateful for because what I saw through that journey is that he carried me every day through that journey. I'm grateful that it ended up that way, but I'm more grateful that he didn't abandon us through the whole thing. You know, when you begin to think of, the thing, of how he's helped and walked you through in the past, that joy is what reminds you to carry you through the future. And, and who do you think needs an invitation to Christmas Eve this year? It is going to be great. It's going to be the gospel message shared with people. Who do you know that needs it? And then will you invite them? Will you invite them? Can we pray? Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the truth of your word. Thank you for saving me. Jesus, thank you for coming. The fact that you came to die and still did it, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Father, thank you for the joy that carries us through. There's so many people right now that just have no joy, no hope, no purpose, and you know them, Lord. And our paths cross theirs. Would you help us this week to see them, to really see them, and to be able to offer that hope and that joy and that life to them. God, I pray that they'd see it. I pray for our our church family, Lord, whatever they may be today, gathering in your name. God, I pray that we truly for ourselves would live out what's most important. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to put the questions on the screen for those who are watching online. You can pause it if you want to take a few minutes to chat about that with, uh, with one another. It's great and have a chance to pray with one another. To those in the room, if you'd like to stay and chat, we're good with that. Um, put on your masks and distance and yada yada. Um, but uh, if you can't stay, I encourage you to think about these things and what does he want to do in your life as a result. And don't miss Christmas Eve, 7 o'clock. It will be great. We will, well, uh, you'll see us then. <laughs>